Hey guys. Hello. Welcome back to Gimme the Creeps. We are in week three of October. Super exciting. Um, I had to really think back on the last time I myself spent hours at night like thinking on a case and getting super creeped out with every single possibility. And guess what my little brain came up with to share with y'all today? What is it? Well, I already told you, but I meant them. Maybe they could guess, but I don't know if they will. I feel like a lot of people have heard of this case. Um, I don't know about everybody else, but it doesn't matter how many times I hear it. I enjoy hearing this case because it's just so interesting and weird and scary and horrific. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'll go ahead and just give a quick disclaimer. No disrespect to the victims or their families. Um, This is just a super intriguing case. So that's where the excitement comes from. No, like not to be like mean or whatever. So without further ado, uh, today I'll be covering the Dyatlov Pass incident. All right. So the Dyatlov Pass incident is from 1959. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, <laughs> um, okay, so I... Um, Wanted to go ahead and get some of the boring stuff out of the way before we get to breaking this case down. Geography was a super important thing in this case. So the region where this took place plays a major role in all the logical possibilities with like the climate being so cold and it being snowy and wintry. So this occurred in the northern Ural Mountains in western Russia in 1959, as I mentioned. So there was a lot going on at the time. It was the height of the Cold War. Eisenhower was president um, in the U.S. with Nixon as his vice. Space was being explored with the Soviet Union successfully launching the Luna 1 satellite from Baikonur uh, Cosmodrome. Cosmodrome uh, being the first man-made object to escape Earth's gravity's pull and then the first to pass the moon on its way to solar orbit as the first artificial planet. So big things were happening. Politicians in Russia were visiting the U.S., and I think around this time, U.S. politicians were visiting Russia, so it was like a very awkward and fast-moving time in the world between um, our country and Russia, and it was known as the Soviet Union at the time, uh, with um, it being a more free generation, there was time to explore, kids were going to college and just expanding their horizons, whereas Okay, hold on. So politics was messy at this time with the generation of explorers being a more optimistic bunch since they didn't have the hardships of the 1930s and Stalin's repression um, in Soviet Russia. Uh, This generation had the time and energy to explore space and mountain ranges and new countries with travel and access to foreign literature and music and films. I'm going to just jump in now. So now we kind of know the background and the context of what's going on and when this incident took place and stuff. Uh, my coffee just like totally left me. So I'm like half, I can't even think of everything I'm trying to say. I'm so excited. But anyway, so it was the beginning of the year, uh, wintertime in Soviet Russia, like I said, 1959, a group of eight young men and two young women that were grade two hikers with ski tour experience were to trek through the Ural Mountains, far northern regions of the Sverdlovsk, I think that's how you say it, Sverdlovsk Oblast and the upper streams of the Lazva River. The route was designed by the group and approved by the Sverlovsk. At the time, it was called Sverlovsk, but now it's called something else. It starts with a Y. I don't want to botch it. Um, So if you're that into geography, you can go look it up. I am already really nervous about all of the names I'm going to have to drop in this, and I don't want to mess it up. So they were to trek the route that was designed by the group and approved by the City Route Commission on January 8th, 1959. Igor Dyatlov was a radio engineering student at what the time was known as the Ural uh, Polytechnical Institute, now called the Ural Federal University. Most of his group were also students there. The group would be receiving their grade three certification upon their return from the ski hike expedition. Igor Dyatlov led the expedition with his mother begging and pleading for him not to go. He promised her that it was the last time, and then it actually was the last time. Oh, no. Um, unfortunately, and so she she talks about that experience and how it was very hard to grieve him whenever she begged him not to go in the first place. Igor and his team were supposed to 
take three weeks with bad weather, a delay that was not surprising. I'm thinking I might get in my feelings at the end of this if there's any time um, because it's that time of the month and I'm trying to stop repressing my sensitive side. Oh, no. (laughs) And there's a BBC thing that I found. And I'm going to go ahead and name off all of my sources right now just so I don't forget anybody. But in particular, I found this BBC article, I guess, or it's like a collection of um, diary entries from some of the uh, explorers and I I call them explorers, but you know, like the expedition members, the team members and stuff. There's Mm -hmm. just like super inside detail information in this thing. It's by Lucy Ash. She traces the group's journey and tells their story through their diaries, photographs, and letters. And she gets to talk to some of their surviving family members and people who knew them. And it's just really good if people want to go look at that to kind of get to know who these people were. They were all in their 20s. They were excited to do this expedition and everything. So at the end, I might read a few little things if we have any time, which I doubt we will. But um, go check it out if you want to. Um, As far as my other sources, I have... Snopes.com, Wikipedia, uh, museumcenter.org, snowbrains.com, bbc.co.uk, and dyotlovepass.com, which, by the way, is the most detailed in terms of the scene and how the bodies were discovered. It has photos from the scene that are kind of graphic, but it's super interesting. It it breaks down every single injury that they were found with. It's just super interesting. So those are my sources in case I forget to refer back to them later. But um, I also learned a phrasing that states Eisenhower congratulated Russia's space exploration accomplishments, but knew that the U.S. was on the back foot. Have you heard of that phrasing before? Um, I think I might have. That was the first time. So BBC is like ahead of the game with all this I I forgot what else I had to like look it up because I was like, huh, I'd never heard of that before. But basically Eisenhower was being shady because he knew that they were at a disadvantage, the U.S. in terms of space exploration after Russia's huge accomplishments. Mm. Um, So um, politics, like I was talking about, yada, yada. Okay, so according to Prosecutor Tempalov, documents found in the tent suggest that the expedition was named for the 21st Congress of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union and was possibly dispatched by the local uh, Komosomol organization. And so we're going to talk about theories and stuff later on, but I just had to mention that really quick. I will probably post maps of where they went and everything like that just to kind of track their journey, I guess. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so on January 23rd, 1959, the group was issued their route book listing their course and boarded the sleeper train from Sverlos, just east of the Ural Mountains. Their stops from there are listed as Sarov, Ivdel, Vizhay, and then their final destination, the Dyatlov Pass, which was um, named after the leader of the expedition team, uh, after it happened. so Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah, so let me go ahead and name off everybody that was on the team. I kind of just named, or I said how many were going and everything, but it was Zenaida, Zenaida Kolmogorova. She was 22, and she was from the same faculty. Yuri Doroshenko was 21 and was studying power economics. Alexander Kolvatov, Kolvatov, Kolevatov, uh, 24, was, right. <laughs> he was 24 studying nuclear physics and Yuri Krivonishenko was 23. Rustem Slobodin was 23. Nicholas Therabo Brigonel, Brigon, wait, Brignol, Brignol was 23, um, and they were all engineering students. And then Ludmila Dubinina was 20. Dub, Dubinina, Dubinina was 20, and Yuri Yudin was 22, and both were studying economics. Semyon Zolotarov um, was 38 and was a sports instructor who had fought in World War II and felt like, uh, or it says that he was the odd one out because of, I guess, the age difference. Pieces of letters dated and sent to family from the students are featured on that BBC source, and it kind of also helps track where they were and how everything occurred. So their stops, like I said, were are listed, and then 
Sverlovsk Oblast is a federal subject of Russia located in the Ural Federal District. Its administrative center is the city of Yekaterinburg. Oh, there it is. That's the one I didn't want to butcher, and I put it in here anyway. Yekaterinburg. Yekaterinburg, for, formerly known as Sverlovsk. Um, its population is 4,297,747. Oh, 297,747. Oh my God, do you hear me? I need to freaking get my shit together over here. Also, it's very quiet. It's like weirdly quiet in here. And then I muted also so that you wouldn't hear everyone yelling over here. Oh, oh okay. But it also just feels like eerie, like I'm... It's freaking know, it's out. Weird. Yeah, it's freaking me out. Um, <laughs> so the main goal here um, when they reached their destination was to reach another mountain that was across the way, uh, the Gora Otorden, 10 kilometers north of the site where they where the incident occurred. Uh, the route they used during February was estimated as a Category 3 hike, which is the most difficult time to traverse. So after taking the sleeper train through the different towns and making sure to eat as many loaves of bread between them to keep their energy and strength, they arrived in Vizhay by truck. Vizhay is a lorry village that's the last inhabited settlement to the north. And I learned that lorry is pretty much a British term for like a semi. A semi. So, yeah, they're, they call them lorries. L-O-R-R-Y. But that is it's a like semi. a Like an 18-wheeler. Oh, what the fuck? Okay. Like a semi truck. So, yeah, um, what? Okay. So that's what that whenever it says they were at a, in a lorry town, that's I guess oh, where trucks okay, that makes come sense. and go. Here we go. That's good. Ludmila was thrilled to see a romantic Austrian musical about ice skating when the group stopped in the night for the night in that little town. In her diary entry says, We are extremely lucky. Symphony in Gold was showing at the Village Club. The image was a bit fuzzy, but that didn't spoil our, our pleasure at all. Yurka Krivonishenko, sitting next to me, was smacking his lips and ooing, and ooing with delight. This is a real happiness, and it is hard to put into words. The music is just fabulous. The film really lifted our spirits. Igor was unrecognizable. He tried to dance and even started singing. Oh, Jackie Joe, a song from the film. On June 27th, they began hiking toward Gora Otorten. Uh, however, on the 28th, Yuri Yudin turned back due to knee and joint pain. He had suffered from rheumatism and a, a congenital heart defect. So he was super bummed at the time, probably, that he had to turn around. Uh, yeah. But I'm sure he feels really lucky. But also, I feel like he might have survivor's guilt. Yeah, probably. Or maybe. Uh, so the rest of the team trekked on after Yuri Yudin turned back. And Igor Dyatlov's group skied along the nearby Espaya River before the final ascent. On the 31st, they made it to an edge of a highland area and got ready to start climbing. They placed a surplus of food and equipment in a woody valley for the trip back. That's really smart. Yeah, it is smart. The next day, the hikers started to move. Hold on. The next day, the... <laughs> the next day the hikers started <laughs> uh, she hates me the next day the hikers started to move through the pass it seemed they planned to get over the pass and make camp for the next night on the opposite side but because of the worsening weather conditions snowstorms and decreasing and decreased visibility, they lost their direction and deviated west toward the top of Kolatsiaigl. So instead, they decided to set up camp there on the slope of the mountain to not uh, have to move one and a half kilometers downhill to a forested area that would have offered more shelter from the weather. But it was believed that they just didn't want to lose the altitude that they had gained. And it was probably getting dark. And like they said, they couldn't see because of the snow. So they actually settled on the slope. It appears that that was the night that the incident happened. And it was February 2nd, 1959. So prior to leaving, Igor had promised to send a telegram to their sports club as soon as the group returned to Vizhay, which was expected to be by February 12th. You didn't relay that. Igor had told him it would probably take longer to get back to Vizhay 
So this explains the lack of panic when the message had not been received by February 12th and even days after. Um, however, by February 20th, family demanded a rescue operation and the head of the institute sent the first rescue groups. The first groups were mostly made up of volunteer teachers and students, while the military and the militia, which was the name of the police forces in the Soviet Union, and in several Eastern Bloc countries from 1945 to 1992, as well as in non-aligned SFR Yugoslavia of 1945 to 1992, it's pretty much, I guess, another police force. They, I think they still use that term in some of the individual former Soviet republics, such as Belarus, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, as well as in unrecognized republics of Abkhazia and South Ostensia and Transnistria. Transnistria. Now they have planes and helicopters looking for these guys, and on the 26th of February, they find their tent on Kolat, the Kolat Mountain. Okay, here's, yeah, here it says, is the transliteration in Russia, meaning dead mountain. Um, And in the tent, okay, so when they found the tent, it was like extremely fucked up. Coming upon the campsite, the search team was shook. The student in the search party who actually found the tent um, saw one tent pole sticking out of above the snow with a flashlight resting on top of the canvas. Um, and when they tried the flashlight, it actually still worked. What? So keep that in mind for later. Um, the student said that the tent was half torn down and covered in snow and empty. They had left all their belongings in, behind and it appeared that they had used a knife to quickly cut open the tent from the inside instead of just calmly unzip it. Mm-hmm. It also appeared that Zolotarev had taken his camera. Nine sets of footprints of what seemed to be feet with only socks or a single shoe or even just barefoot led out from the tent. The footprints led down to the edge of the nearby woods opposite the pass, um, one and a half kilometers to the northeast. So 500 meters out, the tracks were now snow covered. Um, the remains of a small fire were also found under a Siberian pine at the forest edge. What the fuck? The part where the tracks were snow covered, I feel like I understood how that could be, why that could be earlier, but I didn't write it in here. Isn't that weird? Like, if the snow is falling evenly and they only have footprints coming out from the tent, but the further out they go, they don't see them anymore. Is it because more snow is falling or? Yeah, that is really weird. There was like, I remember hearing um, a podcast that said, Something about they were in the trees, maybe? Yeah, okay, here. We're getting to that part then. Okay, so now they see the remains of what looked like a fire, and they see the footprints, but then came the first two bodies. So get ready, y'all. Buckle up. Hee-haw. This is crazy. Everybody's dogs just go nuts at the same time outside. (laughs) They can feel the story. They know. They can feel your anxiousness in the in the wind mm-hmm. outside. And they sense it, dude. The wind carries things. Have you seen the happening? Yeah, I love that movie. Isn't that the wildest, the wildest freaking yeah. movie I've ever seen? I actually do really like that movie too. A lot of people don't like it. Um, yeah, a lot of people don't like it. I mean, it's I'm the wind. Pretty true, you know. Like the trees, the plants do the plants. They give you allergies, so and sometimes I want to kill myself just with allergies being so terrible. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, <laughs> they make music. Have you seen those freaking things of they like clip to the plant leaves and they like make music? What? I have to send it to you. Yeah, it's weird because every plant sounds different. Oh, that is weird. I've never. I'm gonna have to send it to you. It's like crazy. It sounds. It sounds crazy. Okay, so I'm freaking out already. Um, so the, the person who is finding everything apparently says, we approached a cedar tree, and when we were 20 meters away, we saw a brown spot. It was towards the right of the trunk, and when we got closer, we saw two corpses lying there. The hands and the feet were reddish brown, and it appears that Krivanishenko had bitten off a piece of his own knuckle. What the fuck? Um, so closest to the tent... Uh, were Duroshenko and Krivonoshenko. Their hands were mangled and raw, and there was human flesh embedded in the bark of a nearby tree. Ooh. Oh, so I guess that's why. 
They they went up the tree. Yeah, there's theories that they were just taking branches off the tree, but then there's for fire purposes. But then there's theories that they were trying to climb up the tree and the the branches were breaking, and they were just trying to grasp onto uh, the trunk desperately. So that's why their hands got mm-hmm. that messed up. So Kravinashenko and Durashenko were shoeless and had only undergarments. The branches on the tree were broken up to five meters high, and between this pine and the campsite, they found three more bodies, Dilatov, Kolmorgova, and Slobodin. In, it appeared that they had tried to get back to camp from the tree, so it appeared like their direction was heading back to the tent. Mm-hmm. They were found at distances of 300, 480, and 630 meters Dilatov was dressed but shoeless, lying face down on the snow, hugging a birch branch. But other sources say he was lying face up with his arms across his chest. So it just depends. But for the most part, his body wasn't put through as much as the others by by the first appearance of it. Yeah. Kolomorogova lay nearby, and there was a long, bright red bruise on her torso, which looks like it looked like it made it was made by a baton. Her face was beat up pretty bad, and her hands were damaged and bloody and frostbitten. Could she have, like, fallen out of the tree and maybe, like, hit a few branches on the way down? Uh, No idea. So it was hypothermia and frostbite, according to official paperwork. Slobodin, he was a long-distance runner and had a fractured skull with six-inch fracture on the side of his head. He was found in a long sleeve shirt and sweater and two pairs of pants with four pairs of socks and one felt boot on his right foot. His watch stopped at 8.45. I know, isn't that freaking creepy? I mentioned that he's a long distance runner because it seems like he should have made it to the tent. But then again, running through snow might be difficult. I don't know how much it might hinder. As far as I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it in terms of like athleticism and maybe he could have made it closer to the tent than the others, just depending on what was going on. Mm -hmm. So something definitely happened to him. The remaining four were not found for another two or three months. In May, uh, on May 4th, under four meters of snow in a ravine 75 meters in the woods from the pine tree, the others were officially discovered. Nikolai Thurbo Brignol was the son of a French communist rep- repressed by Stalin, um, by the way, and he was found with a fractured skull, was well-dressed, but his jaw was broken and his face was smashed in. Kolmvatov uh, was a nuclear physicist or a nuclear physics student who had worked at a secret institute in Moscow. Hmm. He had a wound behind his ear and um, an oddly twisted neck. I'm going through these injuries really fast right now, but when we get to the theories, I'm going to head over to the um, Dilatov Pass incident website and we can look at everything that freaking got like ugh, broken and messed up and mm. everything. So, Dubnina was an ardent young communist and communist and Zolotarov, the oldest member of a group of the group, had suffered multiple broken bones and had an open wound on the right side of his skull, which exposed bone. She was missing her tongue. Mm-hmm. And all of her facial tissue was missing and her nose was smashed into her face. She looked as if she was like eternally screaming. Oh fuck. She was missing a lot of her face and her lips and stuff, but that could be explained away because they were in a ravine, so there's water, and then animals might have come, you know, drink water or whatever, and they start eating parts of, like, dead flesh sometimes. So that could be explained away, but it's just still really creepy. They mm. both also – I think they were both also missing their eyes. Um, and, like, yeah, his his eye sockets were empty. She was just missing her eyes and her tongue. And uh, he had his – the wound in his head and his ribs had, like, split apart. Tests on their bodies and clothing showed small traces of radiation. And investigators concluded that the deaths were caused by a natural force they could not overcome. What and then they quickly, the abruptly, like, closed the case whenever they – whenever people were starting to, like, ask questions. So that's like telling on yourself on accident. Like, you know, when your parents are like, watch your brother for a second and then they come back and your brother's crying or like mad about something mm-hmm. and you tell your mom, something made him upset, but like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> something interesting to consider was the fact that three fourths of them were dressed 
to the weather upon being found, but there were signs that those with more clothes on had given those with less some of their clothing. For instance, like Dubnina was wearing uh, Chris Vonshenko's burned, torn pants, and her left foot and shin were wrapped in a torn jacket. And that's interesting because I saw that Kendall Ray on YouTube covered this uh, recently too and mentioned something about the hikers maybe found the other some of some of the hikers found the other hikers who had already died and took some of their clothes since mm-hmm. they had already died so they could um, stay warm if they had rushed out of the tent in a hurry and had little to no clothes on they took the clothing from the dead yeah so that makes a little bit of sense if that if that was the case so okay so they died of hypothermia but what the fuck happened to them before succumbing to the cold an exam on the four found in may actually shifted the investigation narrative those with chest fractures i.e the multiple broken ribs um, and the skull damage required the force of a car accident and the lack of external physical indications of such energy and in, inner <laughs> injuries the lack of of external physical indications of such injuries suggests that the breaks were caused by an extreme level of pressure. What the fuck? Weird. Just really weird. Soft tissue damage to the head and face, as mentioned by um, the missing tongue and eyes and even fragment of the skull bone, as well as um, Kolvatov's eyebrows were also missing. Um, they were all judged to be post-mortem injuries due to location of bodies, which was in a ravine. And I'm now going to read a list of things to consider really quick from Wikipedia just because it was already listed out for me. Okay, so things to consider are... Who the hell is screaming like that? What the fuck? And I hear asking about on my end. I was like, nobody's here. Oh, no, 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 no. That would be creepy. That would be really scary. Mm-hmm. You know? It was like, Danielle, I can barely hear you. There's something oh screaming. Oh, my like, God. Right next to the- I just pictured the face or the demon from Insidious. It's right Why behind would her. you say that to me? I, I don't know. Speaking <laughs> of demons, demons, I just saw a movie called Metamorphosis on Shudder, and it was kind of scary. It was actually pretty good. I Korean feel like I've heard of that. It was pretty savage. It was kind of gruesome. Oh, mercy, that scared me. Anyways, there's no screaming. So journalists reporting on the available parts of the inquest files claim that it states six of the group members died of hypothermia and three of fatal injuries. There were no indications of other people nearby on the mountain apart from the nine travelers. The tent had been ripped open from within. The victims had had died six to eight hours after their last meal traces from the camp showed that all group members left the campsite of their own accord on foot high levels of radiation were found on only one victim's clothing okay but i think traces of radiation were found on everything Mm -hmm. including the tent i think even maybe even the campsite to dispel the theory of an attack by the indigenous Monzi people. Okay, because they tried to say when they were investigating, theories were that the Manzi tribe um, members had become violent due to them trespassing or possibly they were on mushrooms or something and just attacked the hikers. So this was dispelled um, by someone and that stated that the fatal injuries of the three bodies could not have been caused by human beings because the force of the blows had to be too strong and no soft tissue had been damaged. Mm -hmm. So I guess like no bruising or anything. Release documents contained no information about the condition of the skier's internal organs. Oh. Why am I getting like um, Stranger Things vibes from this part of it? Oh, dude. What if their bodies were fake? Because, okay, another interesting thing is their funerals were all open casket and that would be suspicious because, okay, because some of their family and friends that were present at the funeral mentioned that the pigment of their skin was weird, like like gray, like too pale, like a brick color. And others said that it was more yellowish, orangish. And then they all had like gray hair when none of them had gray hair when they died. Yeah, so it might have to do with the radiation or just something 
in the air or something. But what if they were fake bodies, like how when they found Will in the water oh, on Stranger dude, Things? That's so weird. It was a fake body because there's no information on their internal organs, which weirds me out because why wouldn't there be unless they didn't know or like they didn't have internal organs or yeah. whatever. Anyway, that just made me think of that. And there were no survivors. And at the time, the verdict was that the group members had died because of um, a, compa- a compelling natural force. Uh, like I had said, and the inquest officially ceased in May of 1959 as a result of the absence of a guilty party, and the files were sent to a secret archive. Oh, yes, yes. In 1997, it was revealed that the negatives from Krivonashenko's camera were kept in the private archive of one of the investigators, Lev Ivanov. The film material was donated to Ivanov's daughter, was donated by his daughter to the Dyatlov Foundation and the diaries of the hiking party fell into the Russia's public domain in 2009. So it says that on April 12th of 2018, Zolotarev's remains were exhumed on the initiative of journalists of the Russian tabloid newspaper, um, Komsol, Kom, wait, Komsomolskaya Pravda. Uh, contradictory results were obtained. One of the experts said that the character of the injuries resembled a person knocked down by a car and the DNA analysis did not reveal any similarity to the DNA of living relatives. (gasps) (laughs) What? What if they replaced his body with another person's body? Dude. In addition, it turned out that the Zolotarev name was not on the list of those buried at the Ivanaskai... Ivan Oskai Cemetery. Nevertheless, the reconstruction of the face from the exhumed skull matched post-war photographs of Zolotarev, although journalists expressed suspicions that another person was hiding under Zolotarev's name after World War II. I just don't understand how... Like, what... The... I don't know. I, uh, I don't know. My brain is, like, going 5,000 miles an hour right now. I know. I don't know. It's sketchy. Um... A bunch of other shit was found. Okay, so then now I'm going to go real quick to the – I want to see how exactly what happened to them. So, okay, autopsies were performed on March 4th by the Regional Bureau Forensic Pathologist Boris Alexievich Voskeredeni. Ironically, his last name means reborn in Russian. Interesting choice of profession. (laughs) Clever. So – Yuri Duroshenko, who was 21, he was the tallest and most sturdy of the group. Um, the complexion of the deceased had been described as brown-purple. He was wearing sleeveless cotton undershirt, short sleeve checkered shirt with two empty breast pockets and all six buttons fastened, shorts and swimming trunks, blue cotton. This goes into real like detail to the max. Mm. Um, in the hair were pine needles and moss, and hair is burned on the right side of the head. Ear, nose, and lips are covered with blood, swollen upper lip with dark red hemorrhage, right cheek, soft tissue covered with gray foam, gray liquid coming from his open mouth. Most apparent cause is pulmonary edema. 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 Ear articles are uh, in bluish red color, right ear lobe and tragus, dense patches of brown red color. What the heck is with the colors? So they're not saying bruising. They're not saying it's just color. That's weird. Um, Abrasions. I don't know. Anyways, so it goes into detail with every single freaking person, but I'm not going to do that. It is super interesting, but um, there are just a lot of theories to get into, so we're going to go ahead and jump in. It's – so, remember the flashlight. Oh, yes. Okay, so on museumcenter.org, it posts an interesting question, which was – the tent was the first thing to be found. It was facing north-south with, with the entrance facing south and the north part covered with 15 to 20 centimeters of snow. Um, it appeared to come from the wind blowing and not a sudden avalanche or anything like that. But the flashlight on the tent, it was laying on the top of the 10 centimeters of snow, not directly on top of the tent. And it what? had been cut from the inside... And the exit was still fastened closed, but it was cut. And the hikers had to have to had to have escaped the tent through the cuts made on the side. Most of the belongings were inside. Okay, so whenever the flashlight was left on the top of the tent, they were thinking that 
Some people think that it's because they left the light on so that they could find their way back to the tent. But the light was still like able to turn on. Wouldn't it have like run out of power or like broken or something like that if they left it on? Right. Um, but that is really smart. Like if they thought they were going to be able to come back to the tent, they just had to leave really quick. They just set the – but it doesn't make any sense that there was snowfall in between the tent and the flashlight. Um, actually, it does make sense because it, it, it was snowing that entire time, so it's not going to be completely bare on top of the tent. It just means that some time went by before everything happened, I guess. So the first body was found under the tree, like I said, close to the remains of the fire, identified as Doroshenko. He had burns on his head and foot, which that part weirds me out, unless it was an accident because he was moving so quickly – the whole thing is like there could be a story for after the after the fact, like after they're out of the tent, but then there could be a totally different story for the reason they got out of the tent. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. Like a bunch of shit happened after they got out of the tent. That doesn't make any sense. So, okay. So the burns on his head and foot, minor cuts and bruises, dried blood on his face, and a gray foam st- substance, like I mentioned. And nearby was the body of Krivonoshenko, who had similar minor cuts and bruises and was missing the tip of his nose. Um, so something might have like maybe eaten off of his face after he died or something. I don't know. Mm. He had burns on his hands and a chunk of his knuckle was missing because he bit it off. Apparently, um, it was found in his mouth. Uh, the cause of his death was hypothermia, but Dyatlov was, um, found 300 meters up from the slope back towards the tent. He had minor cuts and bruises. He was missing a tooth and he had blood on his lips. His cause of death was also hypothermia. His watch was stopped at 5.31 a.m. Oh. Um, that's fucking weird. Uh, Kolmor, Kolmo Gorova was found face down 630 meters up the hill from the cedar tree closest to the tent. She had minor cuts and bruises. Okay, so it's saying that she's close to the tent. Interesting. And a large blunt force bruise of unknown origin. Her cause of death was hypothermia. Slobodin wasn't found until March 5th. Okay, so this guy was found in March. The others were found in May. Mm. Um, He was wearing one boot, had a similar had similar minor wounds and a fractured skull. His skull, however, was not serious uh, damage enough to cause his death. His cause of death was determined to also be hypothermia. The last four hikers were not found until two months later when the area began to thaw. Uh, Like I said, it was found in in the ravine. Broken nose and was missing his eyes and soft tissue around his eyes. That was Kolvatov. It was likely from animal predation. His clothes were found at a later time to have traces of radioactivity. He and Zolotarov were embraced, likely trying to preserve body heat. Hmm. He died from a crushed chest and had pen and paper in hand, but was never able to write his message. What the fuck? What the fuck? Dude, this trips me out because everything has different information on it. There's like so many different yeah. little details that are missing. And I keep I hadn't seen that before. I didn't know that either. And I for a long it's time I thought that, like one of them just went crazy and like started yeah. killing people and then someone else stopped him and killed him and then the rest mm-hmm. just died from hypothermia. You know what I mean? I think something I think something along if it was self-induced or you know something like that like you said it, it i think the same thing um and then it was just chaos from there um yes. and then that storm hit or like it was in the midst of this storm happening you know what i mean yeah and so there's this person who has the pen the pen and paper and the other person who had the camera like something had to have been important enough like to act, to write it down or to take a picture if they could mm. or whatever mm. So Brignol was nearby and died from an impact to his skull. So that's the only one that uh, they said for sure was not hypothermia. He died from impact to the skull. Mm-hmm. And Dubnina died of a crushing injury to her, t- her chest and her eyes, tongue, and soft tissue was missing. She had blood in her stomach and radioactivity uh, on her clothes. So this says something about her insides. Yeah, this says something about her organs, whereas it said... There was no information given about their organs right. on the other website. So, um, but yeah, it, blood in her stomach. So that means weird. that she was alive for some of it. For it to go down yeah, there. She had to have swallowed mm-hmm. some blood. You're right. Unless her, her stomach was bleeding or 
something. Oh, maybe I, I guess. I just figured. I don't know, but that makes sense. That does make sense because that would time it. That would kind of give them context clues on the timing of everything if they did that. Mm-hmm. Um, radioactivity on her clothes and the region itself was said to have signs of radioactivity, though I could only find confirmation of the clothing. Yeah, some places don't say. Interesting, but there's no theory on like where the radiation came from. Yeah. Um, but uh, that also is what makes people use the aliens theory. Yes. Here we go. So what happened? There's a lot of theories. Let me head back to my notes real quick. But yeah, there's online. You could go nuts with oh, all the yeah. theories. So here we go. So they say um, aliens, Yeti, fireballs mm-hmm. in the sky. Mm-hmm. The night of the incident, hikers near the area saw glowing orbs in the sky, and the tips of some of the trees appeared to be charred. Hmm. Uh, so that's where the UFO part comes in, is the tips of the trees, something was low enough to kind of char the tips of the trees. And uh, there's uh, there's people saying that they saw things in the sky that night. So. Some investigators were blocked from seeing certain documents, and the KGB threatened the researchers and took their evidence when it came to UFO-related theories and investigations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Strange. Sadly, it's more than likely animals, because, okay, that's what they were thinking of, the mutilations on the hands and the mutilations on the face and stuff. Uh, with Yeah, they thought aliens maybe had done that because it's common with animals to be ripped open or, you know, their eyes and tongue and stuff missing. But they, they believe that animals probably did that part. Uh, there's a final photo called the 33rd frame on an improvised tripod in the camera. So it appears that he had set up the, the tripod either before anything was going on or because something was going on. And there's an image that's the 33rd frame with like some kind of light or lit up object on there. But you can't tell what it is. It just looks mm-hmm. like a light. I've seen it. Yeah. So, the KGB undercover theory. Some of the hikers might have been undercover with the KGB and were supposed to meet with Americans for a controlled delivery. The theory states that the Americans got wind of something fishy and killed the Russian hiker mm-hmm. um, people that were undercover, but then they ended up having to kill the entire group so that n- there were no survivors. I think that one's dumb. <laughs> That one is kind of dumb because they went through the trouble of like staging everybody differently. I doubt it. I don't think it doesn't all tie together with a killing. Yeah. How did the Americans survive this storm? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely not. That's giving them too much credit. Um, <laughs> the avalanche part, maybe, but there was no um, evidence, evidence of, of anything yeah. being swept through there or anything yeah. or like markings in the snow or anything. So the next thing that I would think is Yeti because some of these people look like they got squeezed to death and then they just died. And then yeah. there's the trees. The trees are like kind of weird. Um, it had to be something big and tall and strong. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, the I don't know. It, it might have been anything that got them out of the tent, but once they were out of the tent, like I said, anything could have happened. And they couldn't find their way back uh, with the groups getting separated and they couldn't really see. So I don't know. Infrared, sa- uh, infrared, what the hell? Infrasound theory, uh, which was coined by Donnie Iker in his book, Dead Mountain, is the theory that claims wind blowing around the mountain creates like a vortex that all that in turn creates an infrasound where people panic uh it's like a sound that your brain just causes you to panic and uh but the injuries are just so excessive for me to believe that yeah i don't know about that one unless they went crazy and attacked each other because their brain was getting all messed up by the sound Mm -hmm. the other thing was parachute mine testing hikers were woken up by loud explosions and uh when they then they got lost and everything happened out outside of the tent and there actually is record of the Soviet Union doing uh, these kinds of tests in the area around the time of the incident. And it might also explain the fire orbs in the sky because what parachute mines are, are basically bombs that hang from a parachute mm-hmm. and they just they explode in the sky right above where the people are instead of on the ground like regular landmines. But doesn't that like shoot out shrapnel and shit? 
Yeah, exactly. There was nothing left unless unless that is what happened nearby them. And just the explosions are what caused the frenzy part of it, like getting out of the tent in a hurry, cutting it open, running out, and mm. then they succumb to everything else after maybe um I don't know. Well, I really don't I've know. I've heard the that so weird. The storm was so bad that they just couldn't find their way back. Got swept around. Them. Yeah. That's what I thought too, and they were just getting knocked around by, tr- like in the trees, Wind, maybe and, and stuff like that. Shit. Yeah, like everything was just so um, disorienting. Yeah, Disor- yeah. Whatever that word is. Exactly. It was. Um, yeah, combined with the snowstorm and then the darkness mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. being so cold. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Ooh, um, I thought so- it was dark. That's even scarier. Holy dude, shit, dude! Could you imagine? You can't see anything, That's but you so hear your friends cool. like screaming. Oh God! Oh no, dude! And you're like, where are you? And they're all separated. They they literally are so spread out. That's the weirdest part to me because yeah. wouldn't you? It had to be something really going on because I would try to stay together yeah. unless you just get separated by whatever's going on. Because I mean, a part of the group moves forward and then you don't realize that they've moved forward, and then oh, you're fuck. by yourself or. Like those two guys that were together, they probably were like, oh shit, you know, there's somebody with me, so I'm not going to leave this person's side. Right. Find the group. The whole flashlight thing, too. I feel like there was somebody that, okay, someone cut the tent. Someone set the flashlight on top. Either they were going to bring it with them, because they could have made their way back if they brought the flashlight with them. Mm -hmm. But if they set it on top and left it on to be able to find their way back, that doesn't make as much sense to me. But Unless that was just left there from, or maybe they left they left the flashlight on top for like whenever they go to the bathroom, it's just already out there for them. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. They can see. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to determine what was happening because of something causing a panic, yeah. or if <clears throat> things were just set up already. Like the tripod was just already set up for whatever reason, and um, they were just all going to bed, and then. They just all ran out of the tent. I don't know. It's weird. What do you think happened? Like, what do you think caused them to get out? Because I think it could be explained away once they're out of the tent. But what caused them to all run out half naked in the cold, in the dark, with a snowstorm going on? Well, I don't think they were half naked when they ran out. I really think that somebody lost their mind in that tent for whatever reason. And they freaked out and they fucking stabbed their way they couldn't get out fast enough so they stabbed their way out and like yeah dude what happened to the knife or you know like what happened to the when they got out of this they cut themselves out of the tent you would think they would keep the knife on them right well i mean they were trying to get away but we also don't know like if they found anything else in under the snow like later whenever everything melted you know what i mean like they never say that Mm. so i don't know i feel like a lot of it is also was covered up enough to where it seemed like this big old mystery but somebody knows what the fuck happened right Exactly. I don't know. It's it is really weird. Yeah. There these theories on this museum center though um are pretty logical if if I say so. I'm going to read them real quick cuz it's pretty weird. So okay, so foul play, one of the possibilities like like you were mentioning um is that the hikers were double agents yada yada and they got into some kind of uh, transporting radioactive samples and searching for CIA. This is really far-fetched, but yeah. I'm going to read it. Mm-hmm. Searching for CIA agents reportedly in the area. However, something went wrong and the CIA agents attacked. Mm-mm. However, it seems very unlikely if they were transporting radioactive samples, why were there only only their clothes radioactive? And the theory points that the that um, Zolotarev, Kolovatov, and Chris Sonoshenko um, might have been the spies, but only Kolvatov of the group had radioactive clothes and the other was Dubanina. Why did they cut themselves out of their tent and why did six of them die of hypothermia? It explains very little. Another theory claims that they were mistaken for fugitives from the gulags or witnesses to something they shouldn't have seen. I That's more believable to me. Oh, maybe. Um, uh, the primary piece of evidence for this is that the region of the gulags and the and Yuri Yudin, the survivor, claimed a piece of clothing was here that did not belong to anyone in the group. Oh. See, that's the shit I need to know. I need to know what's what doesn't fit with 
these theories so that we can, you know, decide. Maybe a lone hiker showed up. Right. Right. And then, yeah, they were, or maybe they were hanging out with some random person and then that random person caused the stir yeah, up somehow. Uh, and he, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the piece of clothing was widely used among soldiers in the 40s and later among gulag prisoners. It later disappeared from the evidence room. <gasps> this theory explains very little in the fact that Zolotarev was a, a World War II veteran and had joined the group last minute is an easy explanation for how this piece of clothing uh, got there. Yeah. Okay, yeah, maybe so. All right, yeah, he was a veteran, so maybe, I don't know, he just had it. It is unlikely you didn't have a photographic memory of his uh compatriots clothing items especially if they were underclothes the indigenous people of the region the monzi attacked the group one theory says however they were an easy scapegoat and they would have have no reason to Mm -hmm. Uh, the area was not special to the monzi and the belongings were left uh were, were left behind so it wasn't a robbery another alteration between the hikers but that explains very little two of them had dated at one point too Uh, I found that out in the BBC uh, diary thing. It was one of the women, I want to say Dumnina, and then one of the men had dated previously and she was nervous about going on this trip with an ex or whatever, as anyone would be. But uh, I don't know if that would cause any kind of jealousy or – and these are also experienced. Really? Or well – Maybe they tried to stop him. Or or he killed her and then – or, you know, she killed him and then everybody and started she was the one with the missing face and tongue. True. Ooh, he told her that she couldn't be pretty for anybody yeah, else. He, no, I can't. Lost his I can't deface these, these, uh, these people. I, I don't want to. <laughs> they were already gone. I don't want to try to accuse him of doing anything. But uh, anyway, so there's no evidence that they had ill will towards each other besides you know the possible dating scandal but mm-hmm. uh, the supernatural here it is there are two things about the Dilatov pass incident that really stoked the fires of those uh, who believe in a supernatural explanation the signs of radiation and an image from uh, the camera okay so the yeti attack theory is given weight by local legends among the monzi people of such a creature but doesn't explain much of the other parts why did most of them die of hypothermia and have severe inter- crushing injuries not slash marks or bite marks well maybe yetis don't bite or oh slash. yeah that was also another thing about the animals like they couldn't there was no animal tracks anywhere and exactly. there was no like marks on their bones or like anything True. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, If anything, I would be I would be wanting to see detailed photographs of the bodies injuries. Yeah. Because yeah, you could see the teeth. Like sometimes you can tell when flesh was ripped or if it was slight. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Which I guess a human can also rip. I don't know. Um, So, but I feel like if they were. It would be hard because, like a like a person that wasn't like losing their mind would have to slice mm-hmm. the skin with something. Yeah. And if you mm-hmm. like gone psychotic, I'm sure you could rip off shit with your bare hands, like skin with your bare hands. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Okay, but okay. So then the the other part of that is they they cut themselves out of the tent and the yeti didn't like rip it open. Would you leave the tent if there was a huge ass? Yeti shaking the tent around and you could see the shadow well, of it outside. Well, maybe, now that you've said that, maybe they were trying to stab at it. And it ripped the tent because they were like losing their shit trying to stab all over the place and mm-hmm. and they ended up fucking up the tent without even realizing it because they were There was scared. only one cut in the tent, I believe. I thought it was but like that- shitty. I thought it was like fucked up. Mm-mm, it only said that it was slashed open next to the uh, on the side of it instead of where the zipper is or whatever. Mm, well, that's even weirder. They just rushed out. Um, as far as UFOs, this one is extremely popular. A UFO scared them from their tent and is the cause for the radiation. Um, but it doesn't explain the fire or the broken cedar branches. Uh, okay, but the fire thing is like once they're out of the tent, they realize they can't make it back to the tent. They're cold, so they make a fire. Or they tried. That part makes sense. Yeah, they tried. But then there's burns on them, too. Oh, um, 
I don't know. I mean, it's kind of clumsy to me. Or they're just so cold that they don't even realize that they're burning themselves. Because one of them had burns on his hands, one of them on, his, on his head, the other one on his feet. Doesn't the um, cold, like, burn you at some point? Or is it just, mm, I don't know. Oh, frostbite? If it's, like, I think it would say frostbite. Yeah, that's this what was, I'm like, thinking, too. Like, they were lit. But how like, can you tell toward- the – well, I guess you can tell the difference. I don't know. What's interesting about that is a diary entry once again says something about somebody catching fire, which is so weird to me. Hold on. Let me find it because that freaked me out a little bit. Okay, here it is. Zaneda wrote in one of her last diary entries, all day long we followed the river at night. We'll camp on a Monsey trail. Uh, on a Monsey trail, I burned my mittens and Yura's jacket at the campfire. He cursed me a lot. So she had accidentally lit uh, her mittens and Yura's jacket. Wait, is Yura Yura the, Yura's the one that went back? No, I, no, Yura Durashenko. Okay, Durashenko. I have I've been referring to them by their last name this yeah. whole time. So um, Zaneda was once Yura Durashenko's girlfriend, yeah. but he broke things off with her. And a letter to a friend discovered months later revealed that she was nervous about going on a trip with him. Mm-hmm. I really don't know how I'll feel. It's really hard because we are together and yet we are not together. She had fallen in love with him during a previous expedition when he chased off a brown bear with a geologist's hammer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Um, so, yeah. Okay, so that part. But it's his jacket and her her mittens. So that doesn't really explain... Because it was the two men that had burns on them. I guess they were frantically starting to trying to start the fire. Maybe. I don't know. That part freaks me out. So those are all the theories in terms of, I guess, in terms of supernatural and stuff. But here's where it all makes sense is the the nature aspect of the theories. Actually, no, I'm not done with this. So, okay, so the UFO scared them from their tent and is the cause for radiation. Doesn't explain what we just talked about, though. Part of the entry comes from Lev Ivanov, the man in charge of the investigation at the time, making claims in the early 1990s about forest treetops being burned and being forced to take out the pictures of Monzi. Hunters had given off flying spears. Mm-hmm. What? Um... Ivanov was paid for the interview where he gave this information. He was also a proponent of freak ball lightning in 1959. And the man that forced Ivanov to take out the mentions of the UFOs was obsessed with UFOs. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. That's ironic. Um, So here's the nature part of it. And it's the most likely um, way that this all happened. An avalanche is very unlikely due to the slope of the mountain they were on and the small amount of snow found on the tent. But catabatic wind means descending wind. It is also called gravity wind. It is a phenomenon that occurs over ice sheets or cooled mountain areas, including the topography of the Dilatov Pass area. This hurricane force wind can reach up to 81 meters a second and happen suddenly without warning like a storm. Uh, This phenomena often occurs at night. One such wind killed skiers in Sweden in 1978 when a wind erupted out of a calm day at 20 meters a second. They abandoned their camp um, and most died of exposure and their bodies were found with minor injuries. The bodies were found at intervals that led away from hastily constructed snow shelter the difference here is that one person survived um okay that that yeah, kind of makes yeah sense. that mm-hmm. that sounds uh, sort of they got knocked weird. around I know. In 2019, Swedish adventurers and local guides followed the path of the hikers to replicate the exact trip of the hikers. They went out at the same time of year, followed the same path with the same supplies. They experienced extreme and unpredictable changes in the weather. Um, And they came up with this theory. So this is how it happened in order, according to them. After a tiring day of hiking, the tent was pitched hastily with standing skis and was not angled on the gradient as it should have been. A gale force wind swept down the gradient of the mountain, threatening to rip apart their tent. And they cut their way out of the tent for speed and shoveled snow on the top of the tent to hold it down in the strong winds using what they had, their bare hands. They left a flashlight on top of their tent as they evacuated to act as a beacon to guide them back to camp. They went down the slope to seek shelter in the trees and lower elevation from the winds on the mountain. They were buff- they were buffeted by debris lifted by the strong winds. The three found on the slope died where they fell as they descended the mountain without shoes and light clothing. And that was Slobodin, uh, Kolmogora, and Dilatov. <laughs> 
Doroshenko, a notoriously brave man, and Krishvanashenko took responsibility for constructing a fire with Doroshenko climbing the cedar tree to break off branches for the fire. The other four were to build shelters in the ravine to shield them from the winds. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is breaking down the whole thing perfectly. The the wicked winds would explain the burns or the collapsing into the fire as they succumbed to the hypothermia. Krishvanashenko's knuckle injury was from biting it to stay conscious. Oh Damn, dude. I've never heard they this. Everything. The remaining of the four members went into the ravine and huddled together in a snow shelter, but the snow shelter collapsed onto them, crushing the last four members. That's why they were buried so so deep and under. Their um, chest was caved in whole because of all the snow. They weren't found for months, so that would make sense. Um, Dubonina had been crawling into the shelter when it collapsed on all of them. Soft tissue decomposition happens naturally, particularly in water. Yep. And and with the snow melting, it adds more water. She was found um, kneeling, too, wasn't she? I think, yeah, she was like um, fetal position, I think. The individuals in the ravine had been in water and refroze during melting and freezing periods. So that's why they're their skin there was all we weird go. um but what of the radioactivity uh kolova tov was a student of nuclear physics and he could have come into contact with radioactive materials dubanina was an engineering and economics major there were also the fact that it was two months later before the bodies were radioactive traces were found and there were several possibilities for contamination only beta mm-hmm. particles were found and they were are used in product testing to determine the thickness of an item and these particles can be transferred to said item perhaps this was done on the clothes or on the tarp the students were carried in jesus the radioactive uh radioactivity appears to be little more than a red herring leading people away from the most logical yes yes wow i'd never heard that that whole thing at the end i'd never heard it all makes sense so they didn't separated they were they designated jobs because that's what teams do yes what the i mean they're experienced hiker hikers in the snow so i mean that makes a lot more sense i mean it takes a lot of the fun like i said no disrespect it takes a lot of the fun out of the guesswork of Mm -hmm. it but that theory holds up pretty well in my opinion i agree Interesting. They got freaking blown out and then they were like, we got to get out of here. Because if you think about it, if they just let the uh, wind take their tent, they would have broken their bones all over each other. So they, right. you know, they would have got bounced around. They were like, we have yeah, better odds of surviving yeah. if they leave and make a shelter. Yes. That is so crazy. Wow. That's crazy. That was really cool. I'd never heard the ending of or that part of it. Me neither. Well, like not not uh, in order that way, you know, like in sequence of events. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't heard that. I knew that they had reopened trying to figure out what happened in 2019, but I didn't know that they'd come to that sort of conclusion. So that's really cool. I agree. So if that's the logical, natural way everything happened, yeah, there's what's it called? Paradoxal undressing. That was another thing, but I, they didn't find anybody's clothes like in the snow or after the snow melted, yeah. I don't think. Because that's another thing that happens is whenever you get hypothermia, you just start undressing because yeah. you start feeling really hot. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't that fucked up? That's like so fucked up that that happens. Yeah, that is really tri- weird. So, yeah, that was the Dilatov Pass incident. There's lots more to read on those sources I listed and – this person did a good job. If that was well, it was it was a group of Swedish investigators who wanted to finally figure it out. So they they pretty much reenacted the whole thing and figured it out. But uh, this museumcenter.org was pretty helpful because wow. Uh, so yeah, that was that. Let me see if I left anything out from my notes. I don't think so. Uh, so yeah, due to the absence of a guilty party, they closed the case. Okay, but it okay, but last year, uh, February of 2019, Russian prosecutors reopened the case, um, but then they closed it again, saying that it was an avalanche, which makes less sense than the whole wind theory. Mm. Yeah, that's what um, I had heard that they had reopened it last year for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that is for crazy. Nothing. Just circumstances, isn't that so sad? Mm-hmm. They were just out there, anyways. Um, so, yeah, that one creeped me out for a long time yeah, with all the different theories. I agree. 
I wanted to believe it was aliens conspiring with the Russian government so bad. <laughs> I mean, think about the timing. They had just gone to space. Well, they didn't go to space, but they were messing around in space. The aliens were <laughs> like, hey, you know. uh, I don't know. It just felt like such like a cover up thing that happened. Yeah. Which it still could be, even though it's explained away with such a simple solution. Mm-hmm. Is that like Occam's razor or something? The simplest thing is usually what happened. I don't know. Um, but anyways, yeah. So uh, anything else? I don't think so. That's so much less exciting than I freaking. Yeah, but I'm glad that my mind is put to rest on that. There's nothing scarier than the unknown. Yeah. That was really mm-hmm. good, Abby. What wasn't? I was so out of it today. It's okay. I was so excited typing it up, though. I was like, oh, this is going to be. I just hyped myself up. Dude, I saw those snaps of you at that museum. You look freaking amazing. Oh, oh, I was God. like, who's that? And you look so happy, too. That's the main thing I noticed. I was like, look at her over here posing and doing shit with yeah, her arms and stuff. And then it's standing there well, like the only reason is that screen, if you moved your arms, it looked like oh. you were splattering paint. So that's the only reason my arms were in the air, but... You look great. I yeah, I was like, coincidentally, it looks like I'm posing, but I was trying to make the the paint splatter. Did you get new clothes? I you had, had new? some, yes, but um, I had to bust out like my old clothes. That shirt that I'm wearing oh. in that picture is the shirt that I wore to the pumpkin patch when we went. Oh, I haven't been able to wear it I since then. That. Like, I'm not even joking. <laughs> Holy shit, but I'm glad you kept it. It's yeah, that's the only reason. I like Did you freak day. out whenever you were fitting into like your old stuff? Yeah, it's really weird. It's super weird. All righty, well. Well, that was really good. Give your spiel and I'll finish her off. Yeah, you sure will, won't you? <laughs> puppy's um, outside. God damn it. She's outside my door crying. Francis is out here crying, barking. I'm being beckoned by the werewolves. So, guys, um, we're going to cut it at that. But, I mean, it, yeah, okay, so explanations take the fun out of things. But at least there's a little bit of um, closure. What's it called? Closure with that. And, I mean, rest in peace to all the people who, you know, passed away. They were going to be Category 3 hikers and everything. Uh, October is going to keep keep on going. Let us know what you think about this story, if it gave you the creeps or not. Um, let us know if you've heard it before. A lot of podcasts cover this story. It's super interesting. And there's probably a lot of theories that I didn't even cover. I heard there's like 75 theories that range between what I said and what we discussed and everything. So uh, make sure you give us a follow on Instagram and on Twitter. And let us know what you think on Apple Podcasts by leaving us a review. And... Um, maybe some comments. Uh, We are available on all podcasting platforms. Let your friends know. And um, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. So did we give you the creeps?